I'm sure for many of you that this week was a little unsettling. Maybe not. I was sitting in a room two nights ago. It must have been two nights ago. And I was having a conversation. And all of a sudden across the TV screen, Heath Ledger found dead in his motel room. And I got to thinking as I was going to my room later, this may be the first time for many of you, Heath was 28. So he wasn't Gen X, he wasn't a baby boomer. And this may be the first person in your age category that all of a sudden their life's just gone. And I was just reminded how quickly life can be over. Heath Ledger is really, in my opinion, an extraordinary actor and And so probably a lot of you knew his name or saw some of his work in The Patriot, for example, or The Four Feathers, or a number of other movies that he's been in and one yet to come. He's gone. His life is done. And all the success that one could have in this earth matters not if a person does not know Christ. I do not know where Heath Ledger was with Jesus Christ. But I was certainly reminded how quickly life can be over and how important it is that we really prioritize our lives according to the things that really matter. And how important it is that, as the scripture tells us, we're rich in our relationship with God. And that we know Christ. You know, when we come to Christ, he intends to radically change our lives. Jesus Christ intends to make each of us, as the Bible puts it, like little Christ. Not that we are divine, that's not what the Bible means. But that when we come to Christ, He begins to live in us. He comes and dwells in our life. And He wants to live through us. When we go to work, when we go to school, when we're out and about, when we're at the gas station or at the restaurant, or we're with friends or we're at a sporting event, or we're at the movie theater, wherever it is we might be. He wants to revolutionize and transform our life and live through us. And have the same kind of impact on the world that Jesus had when he was living himself in his own body on this earth some 2,000 years ago. One of the primary places that many of us spend most of our time If you're not a college student, and if you're not a homemaker, it's on your job. You're going to spend a total, if you work from 20 till 50, and you average a 50-hour week, you can go home and do the math yourself, you're going to spend 11 and a half years, approximately, of your life on your job. And your job matters to God. Sometimes we think, you know, there's the sacred and there's the secular. For a Christian... All is sacred. For a person who knows Christ, all matters to God. You might be recreating at the gymnasium. You might be playing basketball. It matters to God how you play. I don't know if you knew that. It matters to God. I remember many years ago I was playing. um, It was either basketball or volleyball. I forget what it was. It was a long time ago. I am by nature an extremely competitive person. 
I don't know if you ever picked that up or not, and that's okay if you didn't. And um, I remember I was playing this game, and, and I, I'm pretty sure it was volleyball, and we were playing co-ed volleyball, which I don't tend to enjoy all that much. I won't tell you why, but anyway. Um, so we were playing, and, <laughs> and the ball would come over, and people were missing the ball and all that kind of stuff. And I found myself inside, you know, I know I'm a Christian, I found myself getting more and more and more heated. And I'm thinking to myself, look, if you're not going to die for the ball, give me 100%, just don't play. I'll do better without you. Because, well, I just don't know how to play games to relax. See, it's no fun to me if you lose. Well, let me put it this way. It's no fun if you aren't trying to win. Whether you win or lose, it's just no fun if you're not trying. That's my mindset. And I began to realize, you know what, Lord? I'm not bringing Christ here to this Sand volleyball game. I'm really not. This is inappropriate. This is how I was before I knew the Lord, but now I'm here and I want to be, I want to be a, a light for you. And I've got some people on my team, Lord, that obviously are not very athletically gifted. <laughs> they don't have very good eye-hand coordination. And I'm frustrated. But you know what? What's important is that you're seen in this volleyball game, not that I win, but that I go out of my way to help those who may be less gifted, who may be uh, less ambidextrous. And you can tell who sometimes they are, and they stand there, the ball comes away, they duck, or they go to hit for it, you know, like that, and it goes over their head, and everyone else laughs, and I'm like, you know what, there's no fun to be laughed at. And the last thing I want them to feel is pressure from me that they're being an idiot because they missed the ball. Which is, you know, what I was before I was a Christian. What I'm trying to illustrate is that I don't care what you're doing. <clears throat> Christ has a purpose for you in that situation. And that doesn't mean that you can't play hard and they can't try to help others succeed. But... You know, I was going beyond that. I was getting exasperated by their failings. Your work matters to God. The Bible tells us to work as though we're serving God, not for man. We're not working for man. You may be hired by a man. You may be hired by a woman. I don't know who your boss is, who your employer is. But you do not work for them. You work for Christ. And that really changes the game. <clears throat> the Bible tells us to bring a winning attitude to our work every day. To bring an enthusiasm to work. Word literally with enthusiasm means to be filled with God. To work with a zeal <clears throat> and an upright attitude and a good spirit. Because you're working for Christ. The Bible tells us to do all things without grumbling and complaining. You know, it's so easy to go through life just... Whine, 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 grumble, grumble, especially at work. Conditions are bad, environment is bad, the pay is bad, the management is bad, the hours are bad, everything's bad, bad, bad. I'm not being paid enough, I'm being taken advantage of, and it just goes on and on and on. <clears throat> Bible tells us to be different. And then last week, we talked about what does a godly employee look like? 
And he gave you a portrait. I was so touched this, this evening. A guy walked up to me in the hall. I said hi to him. And, and uh, he's been coming recently. He said, I said, thanks for getting involved. And he goes, Mark, he said that gets serious message. That was just what I needed to hear. And I got involved. So now he's involved. That was two weeks ago. <clears throat> and, then, and then he said, I also want you to know, I had a much better week at work this week. It was actually a really good week. I was thinking a lot about the seven things you shared last week. <clears throat> and I was intentionally trying to apply them to my life. That's the whole point. That's the whole point of what I'm trying to do is help all of us raise our game. Help us go to the word of God. Find out what does God want me to do. And then we go do something about it. Don't delay. Don't wait 10 years. Don't wait a year. Do it. Do it. Go after it. It'll change your life. Tonight we're going to talk about what may be <clears throat> one of the most difficult things on the job. And that is dealing with injustice at work. Now I said last week, we're going to talk about dealing with the morons that you work for. <clears throat> it's kind of one in the same. Injustice on the job usually comes in the form of a person, right? <clears throat> what do you do when you're treated unfairly on the job? What do you do when you have to deal with injustice? What do you do when you're overlooked? What do you do when you're taken advantage of? What do you do when you're treated in an abusive manner? What do you do when people are mean to you? What do you do when they're inconsiderate? When they're thoughtless? Believe it or not, the Bible speaks directly to that. And it's really radical, actually. And I've been praying for you this week because I'm asking the Lord that somehow we'd be willing to believe what the Bible actually says. I promise you when I go over these texts tonight that most of you are going to go, holy smoke, no wonder most people don't talk about that in church. No wonder I don't see that on television when he's talking about God don't want you to suffer. God don't want you not to prosper. I could do it pretty good. Actually, I could make a living doing that, you know. <laughs> Just turn it on. Just, I could really get going, but I better be careful because I'll really get going. <clears throat> First Peter chapter 2. Just listen really carefully to this. You who are slaves. Now remember, in the New Testament and in the ancient times of particularly of the Roman Empire in which, you know, spread over most of the known world. Almost the entire known world at that time was under the rule of the Romans. <clears throat> and that's where the early church was birthed. Even though it was in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Judea was under the rule of the Romans. Colossae was under the rule of the Romans. Ephesus was under the rule of the Romans. And Peter the Apostle is writing to Christians and Jews who became Christians scattered throughout the Mediterranean and the Roman Empire. Many of them were slaves. We apply this to in the employer-employee relationship. Because as the scripture teaches us, our employer has authority over 
our life. Now, we're not a slave like we're bought and paid for. But there's profound application here, and so we'll go over it together. Just listen to this. You who are slaves must accept the authority of your masters. Do whatever they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are harsh and cruel. For God is pleased with you for the sake of your conscience when you patiently endure unfair treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing right and you are patient beneath the blows, God is pleased with you. Wait a minute. Whoa. Wait. You mean that God might let me get beaten? Of course, that's not going to happen in most of your jobs. So let's just say that right now. But, but I want you to see how far, how far the Bible takes our Christianity. The unfair treatment here that we're talking about is someone tying you to a post and whipping you for something you didn't do. And God says, when you get that unfair treatment, God is pleased. He's honored when you endure that unfair treatment because you're trying to honor Him. This suffering is all part of what God has called you to. Wait a minute. I didn't think God called me into suffering. Live your best life now. You can be a better you the winner's way. God wants you to have a winning life. God wants you to have a million dollar mansion like I do. God wants you to have two or three Lexus parked in your driveway. If you just plant that seed of faith, if you claim that promise and you keep going over your mind, if you just believe, you can achieve. You don't find that in the Bible. That's a crock of doo-doo. This is Peter, Peter, one of the first apostles, and he's writing this. Peter himself crucified upside down. And he says, Christian, listen, this kind of suffering, unfair treatment is all part of what God called you to. Christ, now look at why Christ who suffered for you, is your example follow in his steps. Oh, gee, we never see that on TV, do we? We don't see that with a smiley face in the Walmart bookstore. Christ, who suffered for you, is your example follow in his steps of what? Suffering. That's why nobody talks about it. Because you aren't going to get your face on TV and you're going to be real popular and we'll sell a lot of books. Fortunately, I'm not trying to sell any books. I'm just trying to get people in the Word of God. And the Bible's still the number one bestseller in the world. He left you this example. Now listen, look at the Lord. You think things go tough with you. I think things go tough with me. So just look at this for a moment. He never sinned, He never deceived anyone. He never did anything wrong, but yet he did not retaliate when he was insulted, when he suffered. He did not threaten to get even. 
He left his case in the hands of God who judges fairly. Wow. Now, this is really profound. Jesus got a lot of power, as you know that. Jesus said to the wind and waves, be still. And the sea was calm as glass. Jesus said to the legion of demons, thousands of demons, come out, be gone. They were gone. Jesus said to the blind, see, and they saw. Jesus said to the deaf, hear, and they heard. Jesus said, let the food of these loaves and fish multiply, and he fed almost 15,000 people. Jesus could have easily said, you put that whip down on my back one more time, and you will all fry now. Jesus could have said when the Pharisees showed up and they taunted him. Taunt? Watch this. With just a word. And he could have made their ears melt off their head. And you remember what he did when they came from him in the garden? Do you remember the story? They come from the garden and Peter, Peter, the very guy who's writing this book. Mr. Peter, Mr. Type A, Mr. Like, let's do something. He grabs a sword. Wham! Off comes the one of the soldiers' ears. Jesus said, Peter, stop it. That's not the plan. And he takes the person's ear and he puts it back on. And then he just walks and lets them do to him whatever they want. The Lord was an extraordinary example of suffering, of entrusting himself to God, of seeing the bigger picture. Of dealing with extreme. No one in the world has dealt with more extreme, unjust, unjust, unfair treatment than Jesus Christ. Do you know why? Because of what Angela said. All of us in this room suffer an affliction of a disease. It's called sin. We're selfish. And every single day that goes by, not a day that goes by, we don't sin. There are many times, to be honest... Yeah, we deserve the pain we get. Jesus didn't deserve any of it. He deserved the whole world to bow down and worship him. He deserved the whole world to love and obey him. They did not. And even today, they still do not. And even today, listen, Jesus is still being treated. You think, and I find great comfort in this, sometimes we all feel alone. We think to myself, man, no one understands. God does. Jesus is still being mistreated and maligned and sworn against and hated and despised as much as when he was on the planet. And it still breaks his heart because he still loves the world. And all those people who are treating him so harshly and meanly and ungratefully, he died for all their sin. And that's what it says. He personally carried away our sins in his own body on the cross so we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. You've been healed. Healed from sin by his wounds. Once you were wandering like lost sheep, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your soul. So we see here, first of all, that God has ordained, has planned that there are going to be times, there are going to be seasons in our life When we go through unjust, unfair treatment. It's part of what God is doing. And then we find in the same book, chapter 3, in verse 13. 
Now, he says, who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? Well, most of the time, people won't. But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't be afraid. Don't worry. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if you were asked about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But you must do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak evil against you, they'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. Christ also suffered when he died for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners that he might bring us safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. Listen, it's something I, I am on my um, seventh time in the last four years through the book, The Hiding Place. I finished it last night. And the Hiding Place is the story of a family, the Tim Boom family. It's a true story. You can get the movie. It came out in 1975. You can order. You can get it in certain places. But the book is just paperback and it's profound. And it's the story of Casper Timboom and Betsy, particularly Betsy and Corey Timboom. And they are caught up, you know, in their father's watch shop, living in Holland. And then the Germans invade Holland. And then, and they're devout believers, the Timbooms. And then the Germans, <coughs> the Jews begin <coughs> to come. And seek refuge. And so this family hides them. They are eventually arrested. And they suffer the most unbelievable. Unfair. Unjust treatment you can imagine. It's pretty graphic. It describes it. Certainly in a way that you can understand. Here's what you need to understand about suffering. Here's what you need. Part of what you need to understand in your job. Jesus suffered so we could get saved. Corey and her sister Betsy, instead of rebelling, there's this one, there's this one time. Betsy is very frail. Corey's a little stronger. Betsy's very frail. And Betsy has just almost an angelic spirit to her. It's just phenomenal to read her response to the guards that merciless beat other prisoners and her attitude towards them. And so this one particular time, Betsy's very, very sick. And she, with a bunch of other women, are having to push this wheelbarrow, these, all these pieces of iron and junk, and it's mud, and they don't have shoes, and it's very cold, but the mud's wet, and, and it's wet and cold, <clears throat> and she's sick. She falls down. The guard tells her to get back up. The guard begins to mock her, this, this female guard. And there's other males. They all start laughing at her, and <clears throat> Betsy kind of... Tries to joke back and say, you're right. And the guard gets really upset, turns bright red and begins to whip her mercilessly and cuts her neck with a whip, cuts her face. And her sister, Corey, grabs a shovel and begins to run to the guard to smash in her face. And before anyone can see, it was a, Betsy grabs her arm and says, no, Corey, no. They treated Jesus the same way. And Corey cannot believe her sister's response. They go back to the flea-infested room that was built for 300 people, and there's a thousand women in the room. They work 16-hour days, and she and her sister 
sit in the middle of that room at night because the guards they find out later won't come into the room because of fleas. And every night they, they have a gathering of these women and they read this Bible they smuggled and they lead so many to Christ. And then her sister dies in the camp. Betsy's, uh, Corey's released a, a week later by accident. And she spends the rest of her life bringing Christ not only to those who are part of the camp, but to former German guards. You see, you're suffering. When people watch you suffer unjust treatment and you stand up under it, you bear up under it with a Christ-like spirit, do you know what happens? It beats the devil at his game. He thinks he's winning, just like he thought when he killed Christ and then what he did inadvertently was save the world. He played right into God's hands. And because Christ died, the devil thought he won. He got screwed. But if Jesus hadn't gone along with it, if Jesus had done what welled up inside of him, what you want to do when you're being treated unjustly, none of us would know him today. The same is true often in your situation. God has a divine, sovereign plan in your life for the suffering that's going on, for the injustice that you're dealing with. And depending on how you deal with it will depend on the impact that ripples to the people around you. God knows what he's doing in your life. And when you're eager to do good, even when you suffer, it's just mind-blowing. You know, I don't know if you saw the movie The Prestige. There's a couple magician movies that came out at the same time. Or if you saw, you know, uh, there's this show, Magician Secrets. But sometimes we're like, aren't we just wowed? We're just wowed when we see some of the things people do. We step back and go, wow, wow. But, but here's what's interesting. Just about everything in the world, just about, it's fake. You want to wow people for real when it isn't fake? Try keeping a beautiful spirit, a Christ-like attitude, and continue doing good even when you're being treated unfairly and see what happens. Now, not everyone will be wowed, just like not everyone in the, in, in the German concentration camp bowed down and said, oh, I want what Corey and Betsy have. But there were people who did. There were other suffering servants in that situation who said, I want what they have. And they, they found Christ. And we can never forget young man and woman here tonight or how whatever age you are, that this is the reason that we live the Bible says in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, that behold, we are Christ's ambassadors. We represent Him. And we are going out to reconcile men to God. The Bible says in John 17, verse 18, Jesus said, As the Father sent me into the world, so I'm sending you into the world. And where do you spend most of your time in the world? On your job. On your job. You are Christ's ambassador on that job. What kind of ambassador are you? Are you pleasant? Are you cooperative? Are you easy to work with? Are you faithful? Are you zealous? Are you a hard worker? Do you do your work with skill? Do you give the best you can? We talked about that last week. Now what we're talking about is when things go rough for you, when you get mistreated, do you let everybody know it? Do you go to the higher-ups? Do you like, oh man, I'm telling you, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind? Do you get angry? Do you get upset? Do you let them have a piece of your mind? Or do you 
Trust God. Say, you know what, God? Wait a minute. You're over my life. Let me show you one other verse in Peter that's been a tremendous encouragement to me. In verse chapter 4, verse 19. So if you are suffering according to God's will, keep on doing what is right and trust yourself to God who made you. For he will never fail you. Another verse says, so then let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do what is good. I'd like to share a story with you, a couple of stories tonight. True stories. The first one is Daniel. I don't know if many of you have ever had the opportunity to read through the Old Testament, but there's the Old Testament, the New Testament. They mean Old Covenant, New Covenant. Old Agreement, New Agreement. The primary difference between the two is Jesus Christ. The Messiah in the New Testament comes. And Jesus actually dies on the cross. So instead of all the ceremonial law and the sacrifice of all the animals, <clears throat> which could never take away sin, but they were what God asked for as, as a symbolic act of your true faith in Him. In the New Testament, we have Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, died for all of our sin. When we embrace Him, when we no longer rely on our works to please God, but we embrace Christ, we become a Christian. And it can never change. And Christ comes and lives in us. And we are what the Bible calls born again. And God lives inside of us. And so there's the Old Testament New Testament. But in the Old Testament, you have all the stories of real life men and women who live in the, the brutality and all the realness of the world that you and I live in. Except for many of them, they lived in a much more brutal time. Now, now, brutality today is very much disguised, although in many countries it's not disguised. I have a dear missionary friend in Kenya who recently wrote me a letter. And if you follow the news, many of you don't at your age. I understand that. But there's been houses being burned, people raped and pillaged. And it's one tribe pitted against another tribe. And they're macheting people right in the streets, just like they did when, with the two Tutsi warriors and the Hutu. Except it's not that as many people... Being killed. So, so we still have some of that, that just raw, wretched brutality. In America, it's, it's a little more sanitized. We vacuum babies out of the womb. And we throw all their little body parts in a bag and we dump them in a dumpster. Every bit is brutal. Every bit is vile. Behind closed doors, we have abuse. Physical, sexual, or otherwise. But, but we tend to live in a more sanitized world. Daniel did not live in a sanitized world. Daniel, his country, had been overrun by the Persians or the Iraqis. Modern Iraq was ancient Persia. And King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon and all that kind of stuff, he'd come in and he'd overrun Jerusalem. And Daniel and his friend they came to have new names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were taken captive. They were sons of the royal family. Different sons of different members of the royal court. And they were brought against their will to this foreign country. And so we're going to pick this up. The Babylonians have taken them. And the king assigned them a daily ration of his best food. Well, let me, let me back up so you get a little frame of reference here. Then the king ordered Aspenaz, who was in charge of the palace officials, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as 
captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they're well-versed in every branch of learning and gifted with knowledge and good sense and have the poise needed to serve in the royal palace. Teach these young men the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily ration of the best food and wine from his own kitchen. They were to be trained for a three-year period, and then some of them were made his advisors. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Ezra were four of the young men chosen, all from the royal family in the tribe of Judah. The chief official named them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Ezra was called Abednego. But Daniel made up his mind not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to him by the king. So he asked the chief official for permission to eat other things instead. Now God had given the chief official great respect for Daniel, but he was alarmed by Daniel's suggestion. Now I want you to notice a couple things for a moment. Daniel and his friends, they're young men. They're probably the average age of 17. They're about the same age Joseph was when he was sold into slavery in Egypt. And they're brought to this royal palace and they're chosen. And they are told by their boss, you've got to eat this food. <clears throat> now, there is a time to be defiant, but it all depends on how you do it. Okay? So I'm going to talk a little bit about this as well. So obviously, they've been the victims of tremendously unjust treatment. <laughs> they probably watched their, ch- their parents killed. They probably saw slaughtered people all the way as they left Jerusalem. And they were probably led... With ropes around their hands. And you would think that probably the attitude was be, let's plot together and as soon as we can get out of here, let's get out of here. And as soon as we can slit this guy's throat, let's slit, slit his throat and let's get us a couple of camels, let's get out of here. But notice Daniel's heart towards God. Daniel somehow had a perspective that God has allowed this in our life and and the king has asked us to do something. And and Daniel made up his mind in his heart that I'm going to honor God here in Babylon. So he went to the official and he asked for permission to eat other things instead. Now, I want you to notice he asked for permission. That's interesting. He didn't go, you know what? I just want to remind you that discrimination is wrong. And if you don't do what I want, I'm going to sue you. Now, you're saying to yourself, Mark, you're so ignorant because he was a slave and it was Babylon and it was a different time. Well, of course, I know that. I understand that. I want to make it really clear, by the way, that I don't think you're ever supposed to stand around and be a victim of sexual abuse on your job. And I think it's totally appropriate to go to the right authorities and report things like that. Or if you see it done to others. But I want you to capture the spirit of this text. And so Daniel, notice, he goes and asks permission. And then look at this. The official had great respect for Daniel. Now, the Bible says God gave him great respect. But of course, there's more to the story. I mean, why would you think this official would have great respect for Daniel? I'm going to tell you why I think. As I've studied the book, I've read it many, many times over the last 33 years. What were they supposed to be doing? They were supposed to be being well-versed in the literature and the language and learning of the Babylonians. That meant they had a job to do every day. They were Hebrews. They were used to reading Hebrew, 
not Babylonian. They knew their history. <clears throat> and they weren't interested in Babylonian history. So what is Daniel doing? I can tell you what he's doing. I know it without even reading the book. He was throwing himself into the task. Instead of having a resentful attitude like, who the blank do you think you are? No. No, I'm not going to be your slave. And I'm not going to study your language. And I, want, I don't want to eat your filthy, non-kosher food. That wasn't his attitude. His attitude was one that was quite compliant. Why? Because he was kowtowing, which means, you know, he was trembling in fear to the Babylonians. No, because he feared God and he knew, God, you brought me here. I'm doing this for you. I'm skipping right over Nebuchadnezzar. You're over Nebuchadnezzar. I'm doing this for you. So he was very respectful and he asked for permission. He said, my Lord. My lord, the king, he said, he said, I have a suggestion. My lord, the king, has ordered that you eat the food and wine. This is what the official saying. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youth your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded for neglecting my duties. Now, this is a little brutal time here. He, he didn't say, you know, I'm afraid I might get reprimanded. It might look bad on my resume. I might get my head cut off if you don't look just like he thinks you ought to look in a few days. So this is a rough and tumble world that Daniel was in. So Daniel talked it over with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief official to look after Daniel. And he talked it over and he said, listen, test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. And at the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's rich food. Then you can decide whether or not to let us continue eating our diet. So the attendant agreed to Daniel's suggested and Tested him for 10 days. Notice Daniel's appeal. It's done with respect. He didn't say, listen. If I was a Muslim, you'd let me use this. If I was such and such, you'd let me have that verse sitting right there on my desk. When was the last time you ever said when someone said something to you about your Bible, said, uh, sir, could I, could I just ask you to consider something? You know, um, test me for a month. And see if my Bible reading doesn't make me the best employee that you have. And if I'm not, I'll put my Bible away. Do you have the guts to say, do you have the courage? Are you willing to be tested like that? See, because there's no question in my mind that every one of you can be the best employee where you work. That doesn't mean you're the smartest. I mean, I'll be the best. I'll be your most reliable, your most compliant. I'll get what you ask done. I'll work harder than all the others. Why? Because I'm working for the King of Kings. I don't tell him that, see? Because they'll think I'm insane. <laughs> I work for this invisible king. Sure you do. <clears throat> so here's what happened. At the end of the ten days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the rich food and wine. Now, just so you know, you don't want to base vegetarianism on this passage because that's not really the point. That'd be taken out of context. But it's up to you if you want to eat vegetables and drink only water. That's up to you. So after that... God gave the young men an unusual aptitude for learning in literature and science of the time. And God gave Daniel special ability and understanding in the meanings of visions and dreams. When the, now look at this. When the three-year period, training period, was ordered by the king was over, the chief official brought all the young men right 
into King Nebuchadnezzar's presence. Three-year training period. They were doing this for three years. Very intense. The king talked with each of them, and none of them impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Ezariah. So they were appointed to his regular staff of advisors. In all matters requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, the king found the advice of these young men to be ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. <clears throat> all right. So now here's what happens. These guys prove themselves. They are his best employees by ten times. <clears throat> they have complied. They have been respectful. They have done what the king has asked. And the king himself handpicked them. <clears throat> so, after a few years, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's pretty high on himself. He decides to make a giant statue to himself. And this is found in Daniel chapter 3. So the king made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide, and he set up the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent a message to the princes, prefects, governors, advisors, counselors, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of his statue. When all the officials had arrived and were standing before the image King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, a herald shouted out, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the scissor, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all other instruments, bow to the ground and worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a fire. Wow. That's an exciting day of the job. So you get all these people, this massive dedication. You think, you think people going to Las Vegas is extravagant? You think, oh, you know, when they bring you to the giant Amway meeting or Steve Jobs shows up or they're, they're, they're going to unveil a new iPod or the iPhone. I'm not equating the iPhone to the statue, by the way. <laughs> and they make this big deal out of it. Or the Detroit Auto Show. This thing, this thing paled in comparison. We're talking... Royal robes, we're talking tens of thousands of people, royal palace grounds, solid gold 90-foot statue, trumpets are blowing, all this pomp. Do you remember in Gladiator when what's-his-face, I always forget his dumb name. What was his name? You know, the guy who played Johnny Cash. Yeah, I know, but what was his name in the movie? Yeah, I know. Who was he in the movie? Commodus, thank you. Comedy, idiot. Commodus, thank you. Commodus. Remember when he comes riding after he's killed his father and all of Rome? That, I mean, we don't have anything like that. None of our parades. You go to New York, all we got stupid graffiti on the ground and ugly concrete and blacktop. We're talking these gorgeous satin robes with gold threads sewn in them and these gold-plated chariots and the beautiful Arabian horses and hundreds of thousands of people in the Commodus comes right. This is what this was like. And all of a sudden, the trumpet sound and all this just incredible pomp and circumstances. And then it stops and everyone bows. But three scrawny little Jews. Probably aren't so scrawny because they're eating their vegetables. <clears throat> and they got beautiful clothes on. And they're standing. Now, that's... Standing out like a sore thumb. There is a time. There is a time to disobey your employer. And this is one of those times. 
Most of the time it's not. When you're asked to do something unethical, dishonest, unrighteous, immoral, the answer must be a firm but gracious, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Don't you know your job's on the line? Yes, I do. I'm sorry, I can't do that. Your God won't save you now. My God can save me, but if he doesn't, even if you fire me, he lets you fire me. I'm sorry, I can't comply. So that was these three guys. Now remember, did you forget, the king handpicked them. <laughs> he knew them well. They had served him well. They had served him ten times better than anybody else. So, some officials, you know, the office tattletale. Hey, guess what? So and so, they didn't bow down. We were all bowing down, but we were peeking up, and there they were. They didn't bow down. <clears throat> And you know what that means, King Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to roast some marshmallows. And Nebuchadnezzar's enraged. He's just absolutely enraged. He says, bring him here to me. And he stands these guys who served him. His kingdom has prospered because of these three men. Daniel wasn't in on this. We don't know exactly why Daniel wasn't. Daniel didn't bow. Maybe Daniel was out of the country. Maybe he was an emissary somewhere else. But this particular instant, Daniel wasn't in on this deal. But he had certainly inspired his three friends. And they look at the king. And Nebuchadnezzar was furious with them. He was so furious that his face became distorted with rage. A little bit like Bobby Knight. Have you ever seen his face? He commanded the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of the army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. They tied them up and threw them in the furnace fully clothed. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames leaped out and killed the soldiers as they threw the men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were securely tied, fell down in the roaring flames. But suddenly, as he was watching, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men, throw them in the furnace? Yes, we did, your majesty. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around. Well, you know, the story is that Christ himself was there. The Lord of glory is referred to. And they're all walking around in the fire. And the ropes are off. And the king's mind is blown. But you know what was really interesting? Before they were thrown in, the king gave them one more chance. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, oh, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, we will never bow before your statue. For our God is able to deliver us, but even if he does not, see, they, they had no guarantee. Even if he does not, even if I lose this job, we will not bow down to your statue. The question you want to ask yourself tonight is what kind of employer are you going to be? Do you really believe that the Lord of glory rules over your life? Do you really believe, like Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his own family, by his own brothers, when he was 17 years old, and after he's there just several months, and Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him because he was a very handsome man, and Potiphar didn't have much time for her, and she was neglected and lonely, and Joseph refused to sleep with her. She accused him of rape. And he was unjustly thrown. Not only, he was unjustly already a slave. Now he's unjustly thrown to prison for 13 years of his life. 13. And you know what we can find out about Joseph? His attitude was so good in prison 
His spirit was so beautiful that the jailer entrusted him with the keys. And he was a servant in the jail. <clears throat> the Bible says God was with him. And Joseph knew God was with him. The end of that 13 years, because of something he did in prison, he comes and interprets the king's dream. And in a moment, at 30 years of age, he's made second in command over Egypt. Then he ends up saving all of Egypt from this terrible famine. And then his brothers come. They don't know it's Joseph because now he's 40. You change a little from 17 to 40. And he looks far more Egyptian than he did Jewish. And when his brothers finally find out it's him, and the Bible says their knees are shaking in fear because they know that with a word, that's the way it was in those days, just like for a lot of you in your job, with a word, you could be fired. In these days, with a word, you could be killed. Joseph says to them this, don't be angry with yourself. What you meant for evil, listen, there are people in your job who mean to do you evil. And some of them will. What you meant for evil and what you did God meant for good. God brought me here to save lives. Do you believe that in your job? That God brought you there to save lives. Now, I want to make it very clear that there may be a time that God leads you to move on from your job. That's one of the beauties of a democracy. That's one of the beauties and difference that we have from living in Roman times. We might actually go out and look for other work if we find that the situation in which we work is not working well or not working out. We have the right to go to another job to provide even better for our family or for our own needs. But we don't have the right to neglect the text of First Peter. And we don't have the right to decide, I'm never going to deal with unjust treatment at my job. Because you're a Christian. And God has a sovereign and divine plan for your life. I look back on my life and can say that it has been so many of those unjust circumstances that God has used most in my life to grow me, to use me, to increase my influence. And I could tell you some stories tonight. I won't. We're short on time. I wanted to focus more on these Bible stories tonight, but I could share with you many stories of things that I went through that were so unfair, so incredibly unjust. Prayed about them, like you see in Daniel. They went and prayed about them. I talked to God about them. I certainly complained to God about them. The Bible tells me I can. And I poured up my heart and I asked him for strength to help me deal with this injustice. And in the end, God always did something beyond what I could have imagined. In every situation, some haven't happened yet. I'm still waiting. There's still been injustices that have happened, yes, even on this job. And I'm waiting. And I'm trusting. And I'm going to keep going. Entrust yourself to God. Remember who you serve. Remember that He will reward you. Remember that you are, see, sovereignly and divinely in your life. That boss isn't there by accident. God has a plan. There aren't accidents with God in your life. Next week we'll talk about this a little more, a little different angle, a little different topic. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, we want to thank you tonight for your word and the guidance that it gives. It's radical. It's revolutionary. It's life transforming. It's true.
And God, we just pray that you give each of us the heart and the willingness to surrender, to submit to you, the ultimate authority who leads our life. Lord, the fact is, we don't want to admit this. Multitudes of Christians today, they formed a certain kind of denominational religion. They deny this. But you allow your children to suffer. You always have and you always will because you have a plan. You allowed your son, Jesus, to suffer. You allowed him to be the recipient of injustice and ridicule. You will allow the same in our lives, not because you hate us, not because you're mean, but because you have a wise and good plan. Just like you did with Esther, whose life was taken from her when at 20 years of age, She was taken by an unrighteous king, put in his harem. She pleased him. He liked what he saw. And she became the next queen of an evil empire. And then one of the fellow rulers of that nation wanted all the Jews to be killed. And she was going to have to stand by and watch all of her people killed because no one knew she was a Jew. And she had to decide to make a stand. She never had a Jewish husband. She never got to raise Jewish babies. She never got to go to synagogue. It was your plan. And you honored Esther. And we read her story. And we're inspired by it. And today she's in heaven in multitudes of glory. Thankful that she surrendered to your plan. Help us, Lord. Help us to surrender to your plan. Help us to surrender to you. Day by day by day in our life. And remember, we're never a victim, really. We're really never a victim of the people around us. But rather... Our loving Heavenly Father is over our life, allowing things in this beautiful story that is our life. We'll just keep trusting you. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.